and welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. I'm Dee, the managing editor at AniFem. I also run the blog The Jose Next Door, and you can find me on Twitter at Jose Next Door. And I'm joined today by Caitlin and Peter. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Caitlin. I'm a writer and editor for an anime feminist, as well as writing for The Daily Dot and my own blog, I Have a Heroin Problem. And I'm Peter Phobian. I'm an Associates Features Editor at Crunchyroll and a contributor and editor at Anime Feminist. And today we are doing our mid-season uh, review chat about uh, the summer 2018 anime season. Um, I've kind of somewhat lovingly been calling it the season of the problematic faves. <laughs> um, I've been enjoying it, but I think that there will be a lot on here that we'll be, you know, uh, critiquing as well as praising. So it should be should be a fun time. Uh, we have a lot of shows to get through, so we'll just kind of jump right into it, especially since Peter is watching everything as per usual. Uh, so we're actually starting at pretty much the bottom of our list, which is very unusual. Uh, how not to summon a demon lord. Peter, you are keeping up with this hot mess, aren't you? Oh yeah, it's super popular, by the way, just so you know. Yeah, I try surprising. not to think about I try not to think about that. Yeah, uh, it's pretty bad. I mean, it, it kind of does the same thing. I feel like there's not much more to say about the problematic stuff in uh, Demon Lord that wasn't covered when we were talking about Death March to a Parallel World Rhapsody. Yeah, I think like all these isekai slave anime kind of cover the same ground where these women are very enthusiastic about being slaves so long as their owner is nice and they come to kind of value the fact that they're owned um, because it's like a connection to this person that they admire and it's pretty gross. I feel it kind of, in Demon Lord's case it feels a little bit worse because it has very high production values, uh, really good animation. And uh, it actually does scratch around the surface of some good writing, which is why I think it might have gotten better treatment than, say, Parallel World Rhapsody. There are, like, a couple, if you watch it, like, the beginnings of some really interesting plot ideas that just are not really explored. Or, like, the char- the main character actually has kind of an interesting thing going on with him, but, like, next to a bunch of sexual assault and slavery jokes... Uh, I, it either doesn't get time or you just can't appreciate character development for a guy who is having a nice time owning several women. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's slavery yeah. is kind of still bad, as it turns out. I hate that it's an entire genre. Like, that. I think that's what Kelly me. You were like, you know, these slavery isekais. And I'm like, God, that's a genre now. Yeah. <laughs> we, have to, we have to engage with the fact that that is a genre. I just want you all to know, I've been reading a light novel that is by no means perfect, but the... Uh, half of the main arc was the protagonists were uh, taking down a slave trade ring. So, you know, it's not all bad. Yeah, light novels are not all bad. <laughs> yeah, light novels are not all about slavery being good. I'm reading one where slavery is bad. Thank God. They have, cleared, they have cleared the bar that we set on the ground. Or the, the wonderful, like, antebellum myth is like, slavery isn't all bad so long as, you know, you're nice to them. It just makes me think of, like, all of those pre-Civil War cartoons that I saw in my history book that are like, oh, yeah, no, slavery is cool because, you know, without it, they would be out uh, freezing and with it, they you know, they have a warm place to sleep and and food. And it's like, no, that's not. It's like, no, you are you are no. completely robbed of agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Demon Lord, it kind of is very open about the fact that it's a male power fantasy and basically kind of a um, not quite porno. Yeah, I I have heard that. It's not like it tries to pretend. Yeah, it's not really hiding what it is. Where I think uh, like Death March was a bit less, I don't know, it was more insidious maybe. And Mm -hmm. I've heard rumblings about what 
Rising Shield Hero will be like. Oh, so. yeah. I read some We're bracing summaries ourselves of that. that one. It's, it's real bad. Uh, well, I think that's probably all we have to say about that one. Yeah. Um, speaking, of, speaking of light novels at the bottom of our uh, list here, uh, Master of Ragnarok, and I don't know the rest of the title. It's long. Peter, Bless- you're watching that one too, huh? Yeah, Blesser of Aranyar. Uh, that one's kind of similar. It doesn't really have slavery, I would say. There's a lot of like Ugh. warring kind of like maybe uh, Roman-era clans, and they kind of do this thing where if you conquer a clan, you do, like, this Oath of the Chalice where you become family members, uh, and it's either, like, if you... If it's a not... In negotiations, you basically decide if you're going to be, like, their kid or their sibling, and sibling means you're in an equal relationship. If you're their kid, they can, like, order you around, right? The main character is stuck in this world. Uh, He's in love with his younger sister, uh, back in the real world, trying to oh, get back to her. so his actual sister. Yeah, his real his real life sister. He's got his cell phone, of course. So uh, every once they call each other, and he tells her what's going on as a way to like exposit his current oh. character struggles. Uh, so he like is introducing modern technology to his clan and uh, uses these uh, using using you know his cell phone to find out like all these genius like Sun Tzu strategies. And when he conquers other clans, he, like, makes the person join his family rather than killing them off because he doesn't want to hurt anybody. Uh, so he collects a bunch of siblings and younger sisters because, of course, all the other clans are led by women. Um, Naturally. Yeah, of even course. though it, it's otherwise a pretty patriarchal society. Just a happenstance, I guess. It's it's really, like, I, I listen to you describe it, and it's like you t- there's just a grab bag of, like, light novel isekai tropes. And they just kind of reach in and pull one out. It's like, ah, I'm in love with his little sister. Okay, now what else? Ah, he has a cell phone. It's like, oh. Yeah, yeah, hearing you talk about it, I'm like, I think this this aired like three seasons ago, didn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I I do think it's a, I do, I would say it's, uh, I don't know. Uh, In another world with my smartphone, I didn't get too far. I don't think it has slavery in it. This one does have slavery. He doesn't, uh, he buys two slaves, but he just wants to free them. And then they end up, like, working at his castle or whatever. So he does free them and then they decide to stay there? Uh, yeah, he basically says, like, you're not really my slave. Uh, uh, he just saw them being sold on the market and was kind of... Actually, I think he was kind of disgusted with the slave trade, but it's, like, not something he thinks he can deal with right now. In the last episode, he decided to create um, compulsory education so that he could give the bottom rung of society means to, like, rise up and raise the overall capability and intelligence of his clan i guess it i don't know i mean there's slavery in the world but i don't think he's uh really participating in it i do the way it's sort of portraying him <laughs> sorry as a character. i'm just yeah. thinking of that bar that we set on the yeah, ground yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm yeah. thinking of this one walking over it and i'm like congrats <laughs> yeah i mean like i i like if you're gonna do an sk and it is like supposed to be a harsh world of slavery i would like appreciate a story where like maybe somebody manages to get rid of it or something that'd be neat but uh yeah, that's why the one I'm reading. Uh, that would be... I don't think I would trust somebody to write that either because they'd probably make it, like, very, you know, like, person comes in and fixes everything. Uh, what, it was like the white savior kind of thing? Oh, I'm yeah. sure it would... St- well, yeah, yeah. it wouldn't be a white person, but it would still be that... It would still be that idea of, like... It, it's. I mean, it's, it's functionally the same equivalent. It's, you know, group in power comes in and saves all the poor marginalized folks because they would definitely be women. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think there'd probably be issues no matter what, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I guess that's that's that. Anything else you wanna you wanna note about that one? I guess the essence of the show is that they're not slaves, but it does seem like they are all subordinate to him, and the girls kind of, of course, all fall in love with him and get into itchy situations. So I wouldn't say it's uh, 
it's too far off, but I I will say that I guess the character does not personally own slaves. So uh, if that's your <laughs> if that's the rung you fall off on, then uh, it has been cleared, I guess. <laughs> well, okay then. Next up, let's let's try to go through these 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 ones towards the end a little bit quicker because I think we'll have some like genuine discussions as we get further up the list. Um, Island, you're keeping up with this one as well. I don't think, I know there were a lot of concerns going into it. Uh, I guess like he starts dating Rin. Uh, It's gotten really weird actually. You know how there's three girls. Uh, Mm -hmm. It it doesn't seem like Sarah and Karen are actually romantic interests in any way. Uh, They each have this own subplot, both regarding their mothers that he kind of helps resolve. Mostly it's them taking action um, and he's just sort of along for the ride. Like, Karen's mom left the island, and she always felt abandoned, and she kept reading this book by this male author that her mom read that had this line in it about, like, grabbing your destiny. So her whole subplot is her father's very domineering. They both escape the island together, go to Japan uh, to where she knows her mother is. They arrive, and it's a gravestone. Um, but then they meet this person who worked with her mom. It turned out she was, like, a marine geologist, and she'd left the island because she wanted to continue her research. And the book she was always reading was one that she had written under a male name because uh, all of her books were published under a male name because women aren't respected in that field. Okay. Uh, and so she kind of learns that her mom was a very intelligent scientist that wanted to like you know, continue doing her work rather than become a housewife. So it's a little bit surprising in that way. It's gotten into yeah. weird time travel stuff. And I guess the main character, I can't remember how old he is, but he is, like, dating Rin at this point. And I, it's not as bad as we thought it was, and it, I don't think it's done, like, a lot of the sexual stuff, except for one joke in, like, the third episode. So it kind of front-loaded that stuff and then sort of backed off from it as it went? Yeah, there's really been no, like, like sexual content between characters. Karen and Sarah aren't, they don't seem to be romantic interests, and it's just kind of about this guy and this weird, like, faded romance thing he has with Rin uh, that involves time travel. It's really it's still hard to say where it's going at this point, but I do think they kind of took the harem aspect out and actually injected some cool kind of like um, personal stories regarding the, the side girls with their, their mothers. Island, I think, is story. based on a visual novel. Yeah. So it kind of tracks that if the anime adaptation wanted to tell like one route, but also touch on the other two, that you'd get those those personal arcs without the romantic element, which isn't. Which to me is, if you're gonna uh, adapt a visual novel, that's probably the best way to do it. So. I do usually though. It's pretty clear that all the characters do have a romantic interest in the character, even though it doesn't pursue that route. In this one, mm-hmm. I don't think Sarah and Karen are interested, or at least yeah, they don't care. In that way, I think it's better because it kind of makes the it makes one romance canon and just takes the other two out and makes then just focuses on their own like plots, uh, mm-hmm. divorced of the romance, which I think is maybe a step up actually to most adaptations like that I've seen. Yeah, that doesn't sound too bad. Yep. Well, it's good to know it. Uh, the the red flags we had on that one weren't quite as dire as we we had worried they would be. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also keeping up with Angels of Death, which I know Rai had attempted to keep up with and kind of dropped it at, per our three episode check in. So mm-hmm. how is it continuing? I actually really like it. <laughs> it's really Do cool. You? Yeah, it's not. I thought it was gonna be like a dark kind of psychological horror, and it definitely has that. But it's also kind of a buddy cop comedy thing. Where it's like they're going through these floors, each of them controlled by basically a serial killer, and Rachel and Zach are working together, but they're both kind of idiots. So, but in different <laughs> ways. So they keep like I don't know arguing about weird stuff. Like she really wants Zach to kill her, um, but Zach can't like 
get excited about killing somebody if they're just like she's like completely monotone and stuff like they got to be afraid or something it there's a lot of like innuendo uh regarding like kind of getting your rocks off so she like tries to make facial expressions for him and he's just like i just can't get excited about that or something like that uh and then there's a floor where this other guy was willing to kill rachel but zach had promised to kill her so she says like zach's the only one for me and zach's like i guess you got dumped and then like kills the guy i don't know it's just really weird humor of these, like, this, like, really belligerent serial killer and this really, like, smart girl. It sounds kind of gleefully trashy. Yeah, it's it kind of reminds me of, uh, um, like, Doro Hedoro or, uh, what's the other series? Or Golden Kamui, where it's, like, everybody's serial killers, but they're so goofy, you don't really take the serial killer aspect seriously. Uh, mm-hmm. and you're just kind of along for the ride as these two idiots are trying to solve all these, like, video game puzzles. And then there's a little bit of psychological horror in there, but it's, I, it's mostly a comedy to me, actually. Yeah. Whether intentionally or not. Yeah. Not too many... I don't think there's really many problematic aspects. I, I know I said there's kind of like innuendo about like sex and stuff, but I don't think they really mm-hmm. lean into that. So it's not like it's all about sex or anything. So mm-hmm. it's remarkably clean for all that too. They really didn't even have yeah. much death until later on. So yeah. Funny funny series. Good comedy. <laughs> the horror comedy. The yeah. slasher comedy, yeah. I guess. Well, Peter, you get to take a you get to take a short break because the next show uh, going up the list is We Rent Skumogami, which uh, you are not you and Caitlin are not keeping up with, and I am. Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot more to add past what I said in the three episode check in. Um, I'm kind of enjoying it. It's it's kind of my isekai of the season. Um, every episode is basically somebody has a problem and or there's like a mystery they need to solve, and they use the Skumogami in their shop to, like basically plant them in the location where they need to like hear and see what's going on and then the Tsukumogami comes back and reports to their buddies and throughout it you learn a little bit more about each of the different characters and everything with the Tsukumogami is really cute and fun and I like all of them a lot and everything with the humans is kind of bland and boring um they keep trying to assure me that the main girl is like super interesting and has a great personality but she doesn't really get to do anything um, and then her adopted, this is the part that I, I kept kind of bringing up in comments, uh, her adopted brother has a giant crush on her. Yeah. And in the, here's the thing, in the context, I've, cause the more, and the more I read up on this, the more I, I kind of see what's happening here, but like, I totally understand why a modern day audience would find this super creepy. Basically he was, basically they were adopted as like teenagers or young adults, um, had never like even met each other before then and this was a fairly common practice in Edo Japan because in a lot of places family lines were through the boys so if you didn't have any boys in your family it was basically a loophole like oh well we'll just adopt in like the second son from some other family whose prospects aren't great and now they'll be the head of this family and it wasn't terribly uncommon like it wasn't super common but it wasn't like also it wasn't considered weird for the person you adopt you quote unquote adopted in was basically the fiance of your of your daughter um you just adopted them so they would be the head of the family so you could continue your family line through them again it was a weird loophole to deal with some patriarchal bullshit mm-hmm. and that's that's functionally what the series is playing with but again like totally understand if a modern audience looks at that and goes oh gross no can't deal with that 
But my bigger problem with it is he's very possessive without ever actually telling her how he feels about her. Oh, um, so he comes that. across as very obnoxious. Like, he's not, he's not like, super aggressive. He's kind of just, like, passive aggressive to any guy who shows an interest in her. Um, and it's implied that she has a crush on this other guy who has kind of vanished off the face of the earth and they're trying to figure out where he is. But she spends most of the story just kind of sitting in the background, and he spends a lot of the story being very pagro about everything. And so the humans are not fun, and it kind of takes the enjoyment out of the show because, again, I really like the stuff with the Tsukuwagami. I think it's I think the little one-off stories and the different characters are, are really fun. So it's it's one of those where I'll probably finish it, but it's not one that I get like excited about every single week. I, I'm kind of, truthfully, I'm kind of just watching it for the little tidbits of Edo era history uh, because I find that interesting. Yeah. So that's where we went to Kumagami. Yeah. yeah. Next on the list, uh, I I talked about Homes of Kyoto. I got through three episodes. I never came back to it. So if anyone wants to read about that, it's in our three episode check in. And now we're starting to get into now we're starting to get into the shows that were that more than one of us is watching. Uh, next one up is uh, How Do Kana Receive? Peter, yeah. you're watching this, and so am I. Yep. Yeah, get, get us started. Uh, I don't, like, I almost don't, I almost don't know what to say about it. It's a, kind of a the very lighthearted mirror to Hanebato, I feel, of the, the two all-female net sport anime this season. Uh, it's really kind of bright and cheery. I think kind of really, like, kind of a light fan service show where... I don't know. It's it's. I mean, the girls are in bikinis and stuff, but they don't really. It's not really sexual, or they don't act very sexual. I don't know if it's just yeah. trying to have the best of both worlds kind of thing. I think like the the volleyball stuff in and of itself is pretty good, uh, and the characters are all very. It's very kind of like an Iashike, except there's a competitive element. It's yeah. It has it has that upbeat vibe that I don't know if Peter. I don't know if you've watched Haikyuu or Yoamushi Pedal. Um, no. But to me, it has that same kind of kind of upbeat, optimistic, like teams coming together and partners forming bonds, and and now we're gonna you know try our hardest and do our best, and it has that very much that kind of optimistic feel to it, because um, I think sports series often tend to slot into either that category or like the Hanebato, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a huge fan of this of this chipper sport genre. Um, I adore Haikyuu, and I get similar vibes from How to Kind of Receive. Um, so I would, it's the first of, of the ones on this list that I would consider kind of a problematic fave, because like you said, there is definitely fan service. It doesn't really go away. I think it helps that there's not, it's all pretty, like, bright and upfront. Like, there's some skeevy camera angles in a couple of episodes. Um, yeah. But otherwise, it's like a little boob bounce here. And sometimes it's honestly kind of funny. Like when uh, when they're looking for swimsuits and Haruka gets excited because hers has ruffles on it. And she's like, look, when I jump, the ruffles bounce. And it, you know, zooms in on her on her boobs bouncing. And I'm like, okay, that was kind of silly. Yeah. So it doesn't really bother me. And I think it helps that, because like the most recent series that I can semi-compare it to would maybe be Keijo, which was, you know, obviously ridiculous, but was also in that vein of like a sports anime with fan service in it. Um, but what it what it, what ended up killing Keijo for me was the non-consensual like groping nonsense that started coming up with some of the girls, and this doesn't have any of that. Like they're all very like the relationships between the girls are all very positive and nice and supportive. So the the little bits of of you know boober butt shots I can kind of roll my eyes at and just move past. Um, and obviously not everybody can do that, but I I'm enjoying it a lot. I watched the latest episode this morning and. The ending get, made me have some feelings about some of the characters, so uh, 
it's definitely endeared me to its cast. I think it's it's really kind of lighthearted and goofy. There was the, I think the only part where I was just like, eh, was when the girl, like, slapped her sister's butt after they scored. But, uh, like, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Like, it's very kind of, uh, they, they kind of, like, are open with the fact that they're not wearing much clothes. Like, what was the comment Haruka said? She's like, I noticed the other girl's suit was pretty cheeky or something. <laughs> Is that what she said? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that was the word. Yeah, so I they sort of recognize it's like that, but I guess that's just sort of the truth of the situation too. I mean, I'm I'm enjoying it. I think the characters are funny, and it's a like when they get into sports, it's like really kind of about the sport at that point, and I think it does some yeah, cool it, stuff. Yeah, it treats the matches um, seriously, and I, I appreciate that a lot. Uh, so yeah, if the I think if the fan service, like if you watch the first episode and the fan service isn't an automatic deal breaker for you, the rest of the show is pretty much that. So I think you could keep up with it. And, have a good time yeah. so next in our next on our list of problematic faves which all three of us are watching uh asobi asobase caitlin you haven't gotten a chance to talk yet uh I why haven't. don't you kick us off yeah. here oh, all right asobi asobase is yes. pretty much just a crass rude occasionally gross comedy featuring three really really dumb teenage girls it is a little bit like always sunny without them being as malicious it's always sunny in philadelphia i mean like i personally it had think it has some really inspired sketches you know all of the episodes are like made up of like five minute sketches you know it varies from like inspired to oh no no don't don't do that that's not funny don't try to figure out if this character is trans no stop but yeah it's just sort of been a lot of fun uh sort of seeing these three complete idiots just uh goof around and be dumb yeah i think there's some i think there are some genuine moments of brilliance in asobi asobase one of my favorites is the sketch they have about how does sex work and the (laughs) and i mean honestly well the general concept there is like everybody's either too embarrassed to talk about it or their school system has completely failed them because they haven't discussed this at all in, in health class. So I thought that was one of the... First of all, it was it was just hilarious. And then also I thought it was uh, one of the sketches that kind of flirted with like actual social commentary about, mm-hmm. you know, what a what a joke the the sex ed in, in schools is. Um, and I've, I've seen that come up in uh, different... Some of the like biographical manga that I've read, like um, My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness and The Bride Was a Boy both kind of talk about that too, about how sex ed in school does not really prepare you for a lot of things. <laughs> um, but then, and it's it sucks because I, I feel like the show is very, very close to me being like, yeah, it's crass, but it's it's always like laughing in the right direction. So it's very close to me being able to just like kind of wholeheartedly recommend it to people if they if they enjoy that style of humor. Um, but then, like you said, the, the transphobic bit is really bad uh and so you know i it it sucks that i have to highlight that moment anytime i talk about it and let people know hey this is the thing that happened so just be aware going in like it's it's pretty rough and i could see it being like legitimately triggering Mm -hmm. for some people right it's like um like to continue the uh always it's always sunny in philadelphia comparison it's like anything having to do having to do with the character carmen who Can is you go into that yeah a bit? so Carmen is a trans woman in it's always sunny and um her depiction is a little bit more complicated because she is genuinely a very cool like she seems like a very cool person and everyone else in it's always sunny is a trash fire and but you know the always sunny characters are like 
you know, very transphobic towards her. It doesn't help that her character entered when they were a little bit more realistically terrible instead of like over the top terrible. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, I know trans people who like they they are not upset by how she is on the show, but at the same time, there are times when you know I know others who are really hurt by it. And mm-hmm. the jokes are sometimes at her expense, but they're more at the expense of the main characters and their ignorance. So it's, right. yeah, so it's a little bit more complicated. Yeah, the first bit in Asobi Asobase with that character, I was I was kind of on the fence where I was like, okay, there's definitely some bad stuff in here, but at the same time, you had, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm just going to go ahead and use they, because it's not super clear if this character is supposed to be trans or not. They, like, you know, just close to their boyfriend, and their boyfriend doesn't care, and I was like, oh, that's sweet. But then the rest of the episode is spent on the girls trying to figure out, you know, uh, but does this girl have a penis? And it's like, it's none of your fucking business yeah. is the correct answer here. And they're shitty. Like, our main characters are supposed to be shitty. So at that point, I was like, well, okay, we're not really supposed to fall in line with them. But then the character came back, and, like, the entire quote-unquote joke around them is, like, this uncertainty about whether or not they have a penis. And I'm like, once again, not your fucking business. Mm-hmm. Um, so it anytime... anytime uh, the character shows up, uh, I get like super uncomfortable and just really need that bit to be over because I think about 95% of the show is really fun and really funny. And then there's just that 5% that is just rough. Yeah. hundred so. percent agree. Peter, you've been quiet. Anything you want to add? I, I pretty much agree with the full sentiment that, mm-hmm. yeah, but I do think, I do want to say that, uh, Hina Kino, the voice of, uh, is it Haruka? Hanako? Hanukkah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I forgot her name. I think that's probably one of the most impressive, like, voice acting performances I've seen. And in- all of the voice act, like the three main characters, voice actors are all relative newcomers, and they're all mm. killing it. Yeah. They are. Um, they are. Yeah, they are absolutely killing it. Um, the animation is incredible. The the delivery is the timing. It's it's really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm blanking on the director's name. He's done a Seiji million things. Kishi. Seiji Kishi, right? Yeah. Right. Who I normally don't really like but i have to admit he is a pretty strong comedic director when he is He's... not being homophobic or transphobic <laughs> yeah his he um he did humanity has declined which is one of my favorite mm-hmm. comedies and so and i've ever since like that was when his name came on my radar and since then i've had kind of a love-hate relationship with him he did the yeah, persona for anime <laughs> Yeah, he did Yuki Yuno, which I'm still kind of mad about, but we're not going to get into that on this podcast because uh, we just don't want to get into that on this podcast. Uh, but yeah, he is he's kind of up and down, but I, I do agree. I think I think comedic timing on the show is, is very excellent mm-hmm. and the voice acting has been tremendous. It's like the, the, or the skit in the newest episode as of this recording, episode seven, where Hanako accidentally opens up Kasumi's fan fiction. And afterwards, they're having this very, very awkward talk, and there's a beat. And then they just both scream and, like, bang their heads against the nearest surface. (laughs) Yes. It's it's not something that I've done, but it's something I've felt. Yeah. I think it captures a lot of those kind of... I think in some ways it, it sort of holds a mirror up to some of your, like, shittier habits in middle school, and so you're able to laugh at the girls because, like, anytime Hanako goes off on, um, like, popular girls with their makeup and how stupid they are, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I remember those conversations. But she wants to be one of them so badly. 
Yeah, and it coming from it coming from like jealousy and this kind of internalized sexism. And the joke is always on her. It's not on you know. It's always like, no, Hanako, you're you're being a shit right now. Uh, and so I think most of the time it treads that line very very well, um, which I also appreciate. Yeah, so. the one like I have really mixed feelings about Olivia. Like mm-hmm. I think she's great as a send up of like foreigner characters in most anime and manga. Like she's blonde, she's blue eyed, blue eyed, but she like she doesn't speak, uh, she doesn't speak English, yeah, um, she, she, at all. I loved her pretending to have that American accent. That was so good. <laughs> but also, but like there are times where it's like they make fun of her body odor, and it's like if I were still living in Japan or like I were more fresh from that part of my life, it might. St- and I mentioned this in one of the uh, previews, but, like, it might sting more than it does because, like, it's true. Like, most Asian people don't have body odor. and Or, like, most East Asian people don't have body odor. And most white people do. And it's really hard to buy deodorant in Japan. And see, I did not... I had no idea that was a thing until they started making jokes about it in the Sobia Sobase, so... Yeah, I do think I do think sometimes some of their like body jokes, like there's a couple jokes in the first episode that are that are a bit fat phobic. Um, I do think some of their body jokes lean into being like mean spirited. Um, but then, but then they, the other girls go out of their way to try to make Olivia not feel bad about the fact that mm-hmm. she's stinky. Um, so it it kind of I feel like over the course of the season they've done a good job of also getting you to realize that even though these girls are kind of shits to each other, they also genuinely like each other. Um, and I think that's helped sort of endear mm-hmm. me to the characters and, and keep the show from growing stale as mm-hmm. it's gone forward. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And again, another one of those problematic faves where I totally understand if the the issues are deal breakers, but I'm, I'm definitely enjoying it. And it sounds like you guys are too. So It is probably one of the strongest um, gross girls comedies to, uh, to come out. Cause it is, yeah, I'd agree with that. It is, it is just unabashedly, like, these girls are horrible and disgusting without like while while rarely being like hateful yeah and i don't think it i think it does a good job of not it doesn't feel like sexist to me Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't feel like oh look at women who are all so bad it's like no look at these three trashy kids because then you've got like these teachers who are actually kind of sweet or like the 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 goth girl in the in the club who's like oh she's my favorite nice she's so i i love her yeah that episode i was like oh i found a character i actually want to protect on this show (laughs) um so i and i think that that variety of personalities makes it makes it not feel it's 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 i don't know it's mean without being mean-spirited um so, yeah. Okay, we've talked about that a lot. We could probably spend an entire episode just talking about a Sobia Sobase, but we have lots of other stuff to cover, so let's move on. Okay, I'm, I think I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. Angelmois? Yeah, close enough. Angelmois? Pretty much. Peter, you're watching it. Uh, Moi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how I've been saying it in my head. <laughs> okay. I don't know. It's like, it's, uh, it's like a historic kind of war series. There's like one like dominant female character in their group that is kind of supposed to be important but in more of like a inspiring the men kind of way um who's of course fallen for the main character most of it's just like i wouldn't say it's like like self-congratulatory like we fought off the mongols kind of thing because it is kind of looking at like how they basically sent prisoners to the island to 
just get killed by Mongols to like slow down the Mongols as much as possible. And they're showing how like Japan was actually probably not very ready for the invasion, which I think is good. Uh, like they didn't take it seriously or something, or they they were like gonna sacrifice these prisoners and just kind of hope for the best. And it's probably really fortunate that the typhoon came through and wrecked that guy's navy because they would have otherwise maybe actually had a successful invasion. So I don't I don't want to say it's like very now what's that called where it's just like glorifying, you know? What sure. I'm trying to say, yeah. Right? No, I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, but it is just kind of like about war guys fighting. Um, and in that way, it's kind of, it's pretty good. I, I, I guess that just in the context of this particular podcast, I'm not sure if there's too much to say about it. There could be mm-hmm. some problematic representations of uh, uh, Caucasian people in it, maybe. Uh, some of the, uh, they do kind of, you remember how in 300, they like really kind of showed all the, the Persian troops to like be these really like, just kind of like weirdos, right? Yeah. Yeah, where they're like trying to, like, it's not exotify, what am I trying to say? kind of other mm-hmm. the enemies and I think there might be some of that going on because some of like the I guess they're supposed to be Caucasian even though it's the Mongol horde uh yeah, yeah there's some weird stuff going on with that but uh they yeah I don't know I don't know enough about the Mongols at that point in time to know if that's historically accurate or if they just wanted some blonde people in their cast yeah, yeah. I think they there was just yeah but uh yeah there's maybe some problematic representations of foreigners in there it's mixed bag Okay. Yeah. Not not one that I was super enthused with and doesn't sound like I'll be going back to it, but, uh, you know, uh-huh. if you're into war stories, doesn't sound like it's terrible. Uh, next one, we'll probably, another one that we're, all three of us are keeping up with, uh, Planet With. Yes. I love Planet With. Tell us why. <laughs> well. <laughs> Go on. Paint a word picture. Planet With what? It is this incredible most series I don't think could pull off the pacing that it's going with. Mm-hmm. Normally I like it when series have a bit of time to breathe, but it is such efficient. It's so efficient in everything about it. It's efficient in the storytelling. It's efficient in the action. and it's, But it's also like efficient in like the character building. Mm-hmm. Like I have a really strong, like I feel like, you know, among all the, like, the interesting action and the characters talking about their ideals, I, like, have a good sense of who these characters are and what their relationships are, and I can, like, sympathize with them, and it's all just such a, like, perfectly balanced in such a small package. Like, it's done more in half of a season than most series do in a full core, and it's just like I'm very enthusiastic about it, and I love Benika, uh, the <laughs> the woman wearing a suit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, I am just very like excited about it. Excited to see what is going to come on next week and where the story goes. Cause and it doesn't feel predictable. I don't feel like I'm gonna know like what's gonna happen next. Or um, it's just it feels so fresh and so well done. That is just really nice having a series like that this season. Yeah, I think in a lot of... Because uh, I've definitely seen anime that were sort of in this vein in terms of being very action-oriented and kind of focusing on like these kind of... Because I think Planet With does have something it's it's saying, and I'm not 100% sure what that is yet because we're still sort of having the argument. But, you know, it, it's having a conversation about justice and... Uh, you know humanity's path in life and whether and you know whether you should give somebody the opportunity to choose 
to do good or if you should take that choice away and make sh- and ensure that they do good and so you know that concept of like free will and I think a lot of the time when you have shows like that um, the characters tend to suffer because they tend to just become vehicles for the for the ideas you know what I mean right mouthpieces yeah mouthpieces and but Planet With has done I think a very good job of humanizing all of its characters so like you know on the one hand yeah they are sort of representative of these different ideas that are going on in the big picture but at the same time like you can see why they got to that point based on these very sort of real human emotions and personalities that they have and they do these little like just these quick little moments that like flesh out the characters and give a really strong sense of like who they are like um, Takeshi so I love that, like, the, half, the villain for half the series is named Takashi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's such a generic name. But, like, he's, like, you know, one of those characters, like, with strong ideals. He's the leader of this group. And he could easily just be a mouthpiece. But then we see these moments of him, like, as a small child with his with his parents. And it's like, he was he was a baby once. And that does a lot towards making him come across more as a person and they also kind of describe the origins of his uh his like sort of tyrannical worldview uh mm-hmm. where ultimately they came from compassion right and i i think that's what the series is really doing that's really interesting it's kind of a it's doing something that not many uh shonen attempt to do and specifically something that i thought was the exceptional thing that made naruto ultimately so good was that it really kind of looked at uh, the causes of cyclical violence and kind of addressed them. And Planet With is doing the same thing while also taking this, and I find this really weird, it's coming from an anime. Uh, it's kind of doing it through the metaphor of like, uh, it, it reminds me of like talks about denuclearization and stuff where, you know, the U.S. is trying to make other countries not have nuclear weapons while we still have ours uh, because, you know, mm-hmm. we want to keep as many out of the world as possible and don't want like tyrannical rulers rising up that have the power to potentially destroy the world which is ultimately what the aliens are trying to do to all humanity so i think it's it's a really interesting way to address that uh, especially with like these dueling philosophies of the the two i don't really want to call them villains and you can kind of see how takashi came to that conclusion by having to defend uh so many people growing up and like wanting to have this power so that he can stop uh, like larger space bullies from coming in and doing the same thing that he was resolving small scale and like at some point even like this ultimately compassionate thing that he's attempting uh, kind of gets twisted and uh, could turn into something bad. I never really thought of the parallels to, like nuclear disarmament and the US that's a really interesting point The way they do it is really insidious too. I love the aliens how they kind of like try to remove the passion within you by filling all the holes in your heart like that was the moment where i knew the series was really good when they first fought an alien and then it went through that really surreal thing with the fireman Mm -hmm. and it was basically trying to say like it's okay you don't need to have any regrets and he had to reject that uh otherwise it would just like remove his humanity all those all those scenes are really amazing it's it's so crazy that they can have a whole episode and fit that like surrealist dream sequence uh, into so many of them where those characters are like overcoming their personal struggles and that's the, and that's so cool because it shows you like how fucked up the what the aliens are trying to do to like stop us from like extending our power into the stars uh, but also tells you so much about the individual characters as well it's really genius right. yeah one thing that really got me is Takizo the the dad 
Like, yeah, he had dreams of, like, women with giant skewers of meat. Yeah. Um, but, like, what really, you know, the really hard part for him was when his uh, dead wife was there. Yeah. I like how he went, that's not fair. <laughs> like, after all yeah. those years, that guy's really awesome. Yeah. I hope he continues on in the series. It's kind of, I haven't watched the episode after the big climactic fight, which you would think would be at the end of the series, so I have no idea how it's going to pivot. But if the second arc is as good as the first arc, then it's going to be really good. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how it all comes together. Um, also, Nezuya, the uh, one who did who did get caught up in the... Um, you mean the light novel protagonist the, stereotype? The yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the one who, who carries a book around upside down because he just wants to look cool pretending to read it yeah um and it's because he's like he was the silliest and most shallow of the characters so of course like he doesn't question it when he's sort of handed his fantasy and he's he's the one who can't break out because like he doesn't really have much else going on other than wanting like wanting girls and wanting to be cool wanting to be in his own isekai yeah basically. <laughs> i mean I felt bad for the rest of his club, though. All of them were so, like, openly and acceptingly nerdy about mm-hmm. it, and everybody could tell that he was acting different, and uh, yeah, you kind of felt like, like, it did feel like he had kind of died. I don't know, I, I really love the, I can't remember what the club is called, their special investigation club, which I guess is just like a, a, like a news club now, because now all they do is follow the news, because they're, they're into UFOs and stuff, and now aliens are attacking the planet, so mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I guess we should just watch the daily news and just talk about it because that's what our club's all about okay i think overall this series has handled all of its characters really well including like you know i mean the main character is a is is a boy but i think all the female characters have been handled really yeah well too, yeah absolutely which i appreciate i don't feel like any of them are just there as vehicles for the guys or as you know eye candy or anything like that like they all they all feel like fully fleshed out individuals as much as the the male characters do uh this is another one i think we could probably spend an entire podcast talking about and who knows by the end of it maybe we'll decide we want to um but we still have quite a few shows to cover so i'm gonna push us forward uh if y'all are okay with that yep Mm mm-hmm um, okay, next on the list, um, I get to take a few sips of water here because I'm not watching this one. Cells at Work. Mm. Love it. <laughs> Great show. Love, yeah, lots of fun. Um, mm-hmm. I can't decide if I want to be NK Cell or if I want to marry NK Cell. <laughs> Life goals or wife goals is very difficult. It's a very yeah. difficult choice. Um, She's great. It's, it's kind of... <laughs> It's a little hard to talk. I mean, it's it's really kind of like carefree and goofy. Uh, so I mean, there's not. I don't think there's too much to analyze there, unless you really want to talk about like how there's like a little a lot of clever characterizations of like different cell processes through these like anthropomorphized uh, weird characters that you get in the anime. Uh, so yeah. I, I think that's where most of the discussions are. I, I think it's like pretty. It's non problematic. Super funny and entertaining. Um, and, like, it's good edutainment. Yeah, like, I mean, the problematic stuff just feels a little bit, like, like nitpicking, like, the female gendered cells are a little bit, like, macrophage is dressed, you know, has very, like, feminine speech patterns, but I think it's more about the comedy, uh, or, like, the visual comedy of, you know, this, like, very beautiful, or this very feminine woman, uh, murdering a bunch of uh, pathogens with a giant cleaver and eating them. 
Yeah, and I think you kind of, uh, once you learn a bit more about her functions, you can kind of see why that uh, the author may have gone with that, I guess. Mm -hmm. Because, like, when the first time you see her, she's, like, killing uh, bacteria or whatever, but then you find out that, um, like, I guess interacting with macrophages is how uh, white and red blood cells develop in bone marrow. So you could kind of say, oh, they're kind of like a caretaker for all these little babies. Uh, and then they also, like, uh, like destroy a lot of, like, foreign material in the body. So they're kind of, like, cleaning up slash eating the stuff. So you could say that's like a cook or a maid. So I kind of get why they would have chosen that metaphor, divorced. I mean, I guess they could have been butlers, too. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, that was that was the main reason I didn't... Well, I didn't keep up with it. The first episode didn't really grab me. And then I found the depiction of the different cells pretty gender essentialist in a way that was not, like wasn't egregious but it was just irritating enough and there wasn't enough else that i liked about the series that i ended up yeah. not keeping up with it yeah, um, which isn't to say like it sounds like lots of people are enjoying it and it doesn't sound like it's doing anything like again i don't think it, it doesn't sound like it's doing anything that's like actively harmful yeah um it's just sort of you know it's not doing anything actively progressive either i guess is how i would say it yeah. right give us more female immune cells I do think, uh, I'm going to plug my own work here a little bit. I've been doing an interview series with a friend of mine who's a med student uh, who was a former uh, cancer researcher as well. So every three episodes we do an interview and we talk about like the characterization and stuff, which has been pretty interesting. He says like it's really spot on and it's like kind of following the course that you should learn about biology where it's kind of like you learn about cell function, then uh, it introduces interactions and pathologies. So he was able to predict the course of the series uh, just kind of based on his own biology lessons. So that I oh, think it's got a lot of value in that way. And you learn about some really, like, crazy stuff. Like, uh, Caitlin, you remember the scene where the macrophage was popping the top off the kid's hat to yeah. graduate them so that they could leave the bone marrow? Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out that's actually the cell's nucleus. Uh, <laughs> and, and the macrophage eats it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's like some nightmare-inducing shit once you've anthropomorphized the characters. <laughs> So actually, macrophage is lobotomizing the red blood cells and eating their brain matter. Yeah, that was actually his uh, his theory for why red blood cells are always getting lost is because red blood cells don't have nuclei, which is the brain of the cell. So, although there's that sickle cell theory going around too. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting theory. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, just a lot of neat biology stuff. Yeah, it sounds fun. Yeah. I, I I can see why I can understand why it's popular, mm-hmm. and I'm glad people are learning cool stuff via the animes. Yeah. Uh, that's always neat, too. Uh, okay, uh, next on the list, just real quick, I did get about four episodes into 100 Sleeping Princes. Um, it was pretty bland. Uh, it was trying its best with what it had, I think. Um, but I couldn't keep up with it, so I went ahead and dropped that one. Uh, next up is Hanebado, which both Caitlin and I uh, gave our gave our best shots to and ended up dropping it, I think, three episodes in mm-hmm. for both of us, more or less. But Peter, you are keeping up with it. Yeah, I'm so glad I didn't drop it. I'm so happy I didn't drop it. Because I think around the three episodes, I was like, I don't think the writing in the series is that great. Yeah, I was I was kind of disappointed, actually. Because um, I felt like they really kind of... Oh, first of all, it had the bad co- coach trope that's like in every female sports anime. And then it had the... Uh, I, it felt like Nagisa and Hanasaki's like, character drama, which I thought was... Each were interesting on their own, just kind of got swept under the rug. 
Like, uh, Nagisa got fixed after a single game where the guy's like, oh yeah, it's like really hard being tall, isn't it? Or something like that. Yeah, I felt like the narrative was, it was like they introduced a bunch of drama at the beginning to hook the audience and then went, well, we don't actually want to talk about that. Yeah, so yeah. they just like very quickly resolved the issues in a way that, it was like they were trying to hit the big like mid-season emotional beats mm-hmm. in the first two episodes yeah. and I really <laughs> struggled to care. It's the opposite of Planet With. Yeah, yeah. Well, it <laughs> turns out, nope. Uh, because, you know, they have, they're like, oh, see, Hanasaki, uh, badminton can be fun. You've got your team. It's going to be fine. Uh, nope. <laughs> it's not fine. No, her issues were not magically resolved via one episode? Neither were Nagisa's, actually. Uh, Nagisa, like, kind of got some confidence in her shot back, but after, you know how she, in the beginning match, she, uh, kind of gave up on that last shot because she knew she wasn't going to win? Uh, now she's super afraid of letting anything pass because she's afraid she'll be giving up on it, I guess. So she chases literally every single shot, even if it's going to be out, and has started knocking some, like, out shots back in, and somebody uses that against her. So she's, like, paranoid of ever becoming so disheartened that she gives up on a shot again, which is, so she was kind of like a double-layered complex that she got from being so thoroughly destroyed by Hanasaki. And Hanasaki herself, uh, since she's gotten back, has kind of, it's, like, basically you can definitely see why she left in addition to the whole drama with her mom, because, uh, what's her name? Saragaya, the pink-haired girl. Ugh, yeah, I did not like her. Yeah, she kind of makes it her personal mission to continue making Hanasaki suffer, to, like, psychologically, like, ruin her game before, because she wants to beat her, right? And then also Connie shows up and, and talks shit to her, too. And Hanasaki right now is sort of, like, is basically going, my best friend is f- and my team are forcing me to play. I can't quit this game. Everybody hates me because I'm good. Uh, I When I got into this game, I just wanted to make friends and have fun uh so fuck this i'm just gonna make everybody else suffer too because i'm so miserable Jeez. yeah so now now she she just played uh Serigaya and completely destroyed her and then rubbed it in her face uh Serigaya tried to throw off her game by giving her a handkerchief at the beginning so she could wipe the, uh, wipe the snot off her face when she won or, or something like that so halfway through the match uh hanasaki ties it in her hair like her mom does uh and then when she wins she kneels down next to Serigaya and like offers her the handkerchief back it's really good. She's just turned into like this like really petty, mean person. And you can tell she's not really getting anything out of it. She's just miserable. Um, but she's just sort of been forced into the situation where like it's just badminton's not fun. So it's a show about how competition destroys people or unhealthy competition destroys people. Uh, as opposed to how do kind of receive, which is about how healthy competition brings people together. Yeah, that's why I said it's like the dark, it's the, the light mirror of Hanibato. Yeah, I, I can see that now. Um, I'll be honest, that sounds interesting. It does not sound like something I want. I would have fun watching. Yeah, so I think same. I'm probably not going to go back to it. Yeah. Um, but it, I mean, it, it definitely sounds like it is doing more than it looked like it was going to be doing in those first couple episodes. So yeah. I am curious to see how it, how it, how the story progresses. I just, I'm not going to watch it, Peter. I'm just going to let you tell me. <laughs> and occasionally turn out. look at screenshots people post of their muscles. Of Nagisa like, flexing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the... yeah, her most recent match, uh, she was being like knocked around uh, either side of the ring. Basically the character, the, her opponent's coach his plan was to make Hana, uh, Nagisa blow out her knee by running back and forth over and over again uh, because nice. she's heavy and she puts more strain on her knees. Uh, so mm-hmm. Nagisa counters this just by hitting the shuttlecock so hard that the person can't even aim their shots when they return it. Uh, so <laughs> it's just her, like, you see the muscles in her arm explode and then she, like, shoots the shuttlecock at the other girl and almost knocks her over. It's it's really good. Yeah, I've seen those gifts. It's intense. Yeah, yeah. It, and, and I agree with D. Like, it sounds like it does go into better territory than it looked like it was for a while but just it 
doesn't sound like something I would enjoy watching. Like, I, you know, I like sports anime that are, you know, they can have drama. They can sort of look at, you know, the the negative aspects of uh, having really intense team sports. And I like that it is a, you know, an actual, like, you know, drama about girls because there's not, like, the drama I've been beating for however long. Like, there's not a lot of sports anime that take the that take girls seriously but it just doesn't sound like something that would be fun yeah well i mean there are there are i should i should say there are lighthearted stuff like where hanasaki stories cutting i get i think hanasaki's gonna end up okay um but on nagi's side like the person she's playing whose coach tries to get her knee blown out her opponent eventually just says i really don't want to play this way this doesn't feel right and uh nagi's competitiveness kind of makes her turn the corner and then they have a really good match after that where the person loses, but they felt like they got to play their own style and kind of came at it positively in the end. Yeah. And they were like, they were, they were on the same team in middle school. So it's, it's actually a really positive conclusion to it. Yeah. That, 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 that makes that sound much Mm -hmm. better. Um, I would be curious to see kind of how it wraps up if it's ultimately sort of, you know, finds an, an optimistic way forward or if it, you know, kind of continues to be sort of sort of grim about it because right now it sounds like it's touching on some of the same elements that Ping Pong touched on, which I thought that show was incredible and part of the reason that I that it was so good was that it did it did kind of spin at the end and find and find sort of a, a positive way to to bring its story together. Um, so yeah, definitely be be curious to see in the when we talk at the season finale uh, how that how that all shakes out. Okay, so uh, next up, uh, one that Caitlin and I Peter gets to Peter covered the bottom half, and now Caitlin and I are going to cover the top <laughs> half. I guess. Oh yeah, I'm like that. Um, next one on the list is uh, Banana Fish. Yeah. Um, I have kind of complicated. I'm you know we ended up recording this later than we had initially intended, um, which is why it's it's more like a three quarter season than a mid season. Just everyone's schedules were kind of uh, all over the place for a little while there. Uh, con season, but I'm glad we waited because I think if we'd recorded this you know a week or two ago, I would have been a lot more down on it than I am at this point. Um, I think I've kind of come around to what it's doing and have kind of accepted it and am enjoying it now. Um, but I'm not sure where to begin. Caitlin, do you have a starting point here? Not really. <laughs> like, it's, it's... We haven't talked about it a lot here, but I feel like I've seen so much discourse about mm-hmm. it on Twitter that at this point I'm tired of talking mm-hmm. about it, even though we have not at any time done that much with it yet. Yeah, I feel like part of it is that, and I was, you know, I was very, like, excited and on board for, uh... Utsumi's direction at the beginning but I feel like she's kind of floundering a little bit more with the more serious material yeah I think I think the scenes I think the like kind of one-on-one scenes with the boys and I'm including Ash AG and also uh my my favorite my favorite good boy shorter in that statement I think the sort of one-on-one character scenes with them have been very good and apparently she's uh the adaptation has really made shorter like a distinct character who people can mm-hmm. kind of get behind, whereas in the manga he was more just kind of there. But I think when it comes to the more sort of drama, crime, mystery elements of it, it doesn't feel like they're like the creative team is super interested in it. Right. So they kind of just skim through it as quickly as they can, so they can get back to uh, the, the sort of more character drama elements of it. I agree, and it's like a little bit of a shame because like. It's, like that is where Utsumi's strength lies, right? Like that is what made Free great was the the sort of the character the character drama, um, well not character drama, but that balance between the like the character drama, like the character drama while also being very lighthearted and fun. 
Um, but like the, I honestly like I I I feel a little bit lost when it comes to the like the gang stuff and the serious like this more serious plot. Like it's like oh they're you know going to this place and uh oh there's gangsters there and now they're going to this place and uh oh gangsters. Like it feels a little bit disinterested in it. So like it's just sort of like 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 you said like the the moments of between the characters and then uh-oh gangsters <laughs> uh-oh gangsters <laughs> oops all gangsters what a good tagline <laughs> yes <laughs> um no i i kind of know what you mean i've sort of and i mean and i think one thing we we discussed this in the three episode or, or write it in the three episode write up to is um not only the the kind of disinterest i think from the creative team in those elements and kind of they're to be fair, they are blazing. They're trying to get through like what eighteen volumes of manga in two core or something mm-hmm. like that. So I know they're cramming a lot in early on, and the past couple episodes have felt like they're allowing the story to breathe a little bit more. So maybe going forward, um, they'll spend more time, you know, sort of teasing out the the more serious kind of plot criminal elements to it as well. Um, but yeah, the fact that it's an eighties manga and they really they pretended to update yeah, it. Yeah, I don't understand really what have the point. It was in like now they have smartphones like that pretty much I think it was to be the main difference I think it was purely truthfully and again this is pure speculation folks do not take this as me having read a bunch of production write-ups because I've read a few but not all of them in some of the stuff I've read I kind of got the sense that it was a marketing decision that they that if the character designs were with you know modern hairstyles and clothing people would be more likely to watch it Mm. uh, which I get but at the same time, I think that if you're, I think you should either just commit to setting it in the 80s and then you, and then some of the more uh, troubling elements of it, um, or even some of the plot points that are very kind of contingent on this is what it was like in the 80s. I think you wouldn't have those issues. Or I think if you're going to update it, then you need to commit to updating it and you need to, you know, be willing to deal with like, oh, this is what things are like in this particular part of the U.S. now. And, oh, hey, maybe fridging a black child for shock value in episode two is in poor taste not a great Um, choice yeah um really rough so and to me that's like baseline level of research about you know setting your story in in america in modern day i have definitely had some complaints critiques about that and i uh had a hard time getting into it early on because of a lot of that like me being like that's not that's not how it works in modern day uh you know u.s Mm -hmm. um or even like if your argument is like oh the system is super broken and that's why these injustices are allowed to carry through i think you need to be more upfront about like oh we're dealing with a bunch of you know crooked cops or something whereas i think there's this element of like oh no these are these are good guys but their hands are tied so i yeah i had some trouble with the early episodes um, I'm finally starting to get into it because of the character drama and also because I just really, really love Shorter. <laughs> he's a um, very good boy. He's a good boy stuck in an impossible situation. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely, and I say this to someone who hasn't read the manga, so I don't actually know what's going to happen. He's definitely going to die. Um, and I'm getting, and I'm getting very, I'm getting very attached to him. And so that sense of dread is just like every episode. When he's just like sitting there and he's got like unconscious, like agey, unconscious, but with his, like with his head in his lap was just very sweet. Mm-hmm. He's trying, he's trying his best. He's in an, again, an impossible situation. Mm-hmm. He's doing his best. And I just, 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm starting to get emotionally invested in it, which is good, but it took a while. Um, I would say I probably would have dropped it if it weren't for the fact that it's such a kind of a big, important show that I felt like I should keep up I with agree. it. I agree. I agree. And I think it is, A, I just want to say it's making me crazy about how the Amazon is calling you a yut. Oh, God. Yeah, Why? that bothers me, too. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, that's not even, like, I don't see how you would get to that point like get to that romanization but anyway you know i think it's a little bit of um a shame that like utsumi's first like serious drama title was such a high profile series because there's definitely some growing pains going on there um and i don't think like she's not capable or competent as a director but i think maybe this should have been like her like fourth or fifth series as opposed to her second, if we're counting, you know, all of the first two seasons of Free as one series. Yeah, I think this was going to be a, a difficult one to adapt, no matter what. And yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to place, and I don't want to place like everything on her because you know, anime is collaborative, yeah. and you've got yeah, no, that's production true. committees and studio heads and all this other stuff. And I know, I think it's the God. This was in an interview. If I find it, I will link it. I will try to find it. I think it's one of the producers, but again, don't quote me on that, who was a big fan of uh, Banana Fish and kind of talks in some of their interviews about how they didn't really want to change anything because they liked the original so much. Um, so, I mean, part of it could be that as well. Um, but I think those elements mm-hmm. of, of series in the 80s that don't age well have continued to... Um, the sexual assault threats are exhausting. Yeah. Um, it's I'm... honestly hard for me to... It's honestly hard for me to have a connection with Ash because his backstory is so just endless suffering that it's yeah it, it starts to feel almost like a parody I guess mm-hmm. um so I struggle with that um pretty much anytime a female character shows up I'm like how long before something terrible happens to her and there it is so you know I mean I think it I think it's one of those that it's the original manga is is very important, and I think in a lot of ways very good. And I think Banana Fish is trying to capture some of that. You know, it's still very much that issue of it was a series written in the '80s, and now we're trying to bring it to the year 2018. Um, so I I can see if there are folks who are struggling to get into it because of that. Like I totally understand. Yeah, no, that that absolutely makes sense, and it did almost lose me for a while when it was just constant like sexual menace like men threatening men men threatening women and there was and the fact that like the last few episodes have been able to have some of the lighter moments um i think has gone a long way towards opening opening things up giving things time to breathe letting you get helping connect to the characters a lot more but yeah no for i i 100% agree like for a long time it was just like okay well and it feels a little bit uncomfortably sexualized at times like there are moments where ash is like lying on the floor and he's got like like his shirt is um lifting up in a way to like show his abs and it's just like no no nope nope let's not i think by and large they do a good job of not showing things or not sensationalizing things but yeah every once in a while they 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 stumble and since it's such a you know uh, difficult mm-hmm. subject it's more noticeable uh so i would like with, with um what's max's wife's name lauren jessica no it's jessica i knew it was one of those like very like late 80s uh women's name that like mm-hmm. everyone my age knows five hundred thousand of them 
Um, sorry, Lauren. Love you. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and I say that as someone with one of those names. I do not appreciate that Jessica was implied to be raped, but I do appreciate that it was only implied instead of like showing some like a horrible rape scene. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, so yeah, it's we put it in the it's complicated category, and I think it I think it's very firmly there. Um, I would be surprised if we don't end up doing a full retrospective on this, and we've talked about it a lot already. Um, I think we should probably go on unless there's something else you feel is essential to bring up to nope. listeners. Okay, uh, let's move on then because we are over time as per usual um, for these mid seasons. I'll try to go through this one quickly. I'm the only person who's caught up on Review Star. Like Caitlin, you were watching it though, weren't you? Okay, so here's the thing. Um, watching things on high dives is a giant pain in the ass. Um, yeah, so review Starlight. Uh, I know Vry is also keeping up with this, so I'm not the only person on staff who's watching it. Um, I like it a lot. I like it more every single week. Um, I think it continues to build on itself very well. Uh, I struggled a little bit in the early going because um, the characters felt very, in the first couple episodes, felt very kind of archetypal cute idol girl in the sense that there just didn't feel like there was quite enough meat on them so I was having a hard time like really latching onto their characters and feeling a resonance with that and that's again not to knock the genre as a whole just me personally I've always kind of struggled with that genre um but as the series has gone on I think it's done a really good job of exploring the different characters and their drives and motivations their goals uh, the episode that aired today so I don't want to talk about it too much because this podcast is going up the day after we record this um, was excellent, and they're kind of starting to uh, tap into um, anxieties about growing up and relationships with other people changing, and uh, one of the girls has kind of an unrequited crush on one of the other girls, and it was a really good episode, and um, I did not expect her character to um, be somebody I could really feel for in the early going, and now she's like my favorite character in the cast, um, so it melds the sort of fantastical elements with the kind of school day, again, sort of that, that idol show vibe, um, very well. The direction is stellar. All of the, all of the scenes that take place on the stage are incredibly well done. Uh, Does it still have a giraffe? It still has a giraffe (laughs) working behind the scenes. And I'm very, very interested in where it's going and how it's going to bring all these different threads together. Um, it's great. It's, fascinating and yeah uh, as of right now it could it's one of those where I think the I think its conclusion will uh, determine even more so than most series I think like where it takes its story will determine whether or not everything before it was worth it if that makes sense um, even though I'm enjoying it week to week I do think that its final arguments will will have a big bearing on whether or not I recommend it to people but as of right now like yeah uh, check out review starlight it's it's really something special I think. Um, I'm hopeful, anyway. So, uh, yeah, that's Review Starlight. Um, And then we can talk about um, the top show on our list. Um, Both it and Review Starlight were in our uh, sort of feminist potential category where we felt like there were themes under the surface. Um, This one has been very fun for me. Uh, Phantom in the Twilight. Caitlin, how have you been feeling about it? It's a lot of, I agree, it's a lot of fun. I love how, I got, I'm going to need help with the names because I don't have an ear for Chinese names the same way I do with Japanese names. I love how Tone is not your standard damsel, like, Otome heroine. Like, she comes in and she fucking kicks ass. 
Yeah. No, I, I, I really enjoy her character. I enjoy her relationships with the boys. I don't enjoy, God, now this is the one where I have trouble with the name, uh, the Chinese hopping vampire. Oh, Toryu? Toryu, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, he's kind of a butt. He's, <laughs> he's very unhappy that, um, what, Rijian? Yeah, Rijian. Rijian. I'm, Rijian. No, you were right. Yeah, we're totally butchering their <laughs> names, I'm sure. Um, like, we're pronouncing them the way the, I mean, the, we're, we're using the, how do I word it? There is uh, the Japanese pronunciation of the Chinese characters. So I'm sure it's not Rijan in the, um, in the Chinese transcript, right. but that is how the characters are saying it. Right. So, so but yeah, Rijan is not ladylike, like her, her great grandmother, because it's sort of like, oh, women can kick ass as long as they're still sufficiently feminine. But he's also the only one who has an issue with it. Luke, the werewolf, is a very good boy. I always end up liking werewolf characters. <laughs> uh, almost universally. Even in, like, crappy, like, vampire series. There's always the one werewolf character, and I always like the one werewolf character. Even if I hate everything else about the series. So, yeah. It's a fun show. I, I really appreciate how much of a focus there's been on... Um you know, Tone's decisions and what she wants to do and she'll get some pushback from the guys and in ways that I think are understandable because she is new to this world where they're like, well, no, we want to make sure you're safe. And she's like, okay, but you don't have to, but I want you to be honest with me and include me in these things. Like I can handle it. And then they, they do, they respect that. Mm -hmm. Like after they have that conversation. Um, so I like that the series, you know, really pushes for her, um, her agency and kind of, you know, control of the situation. Um, I, I get what you're saying about Toryu, but the thing I kind of enjoyed about his episode was that um, it sort of comes about that you find out that the only reason Rijan seemed so put together was because she had this, functionally, this butler who was kind of, like, helping her maintain that image. Um, so for me, he just comes across as, like, just this really kind of uptight, fastidious, like, butler-type character. Uh, so I find him kind of amusing in that sense. Also, anytime he pulls out his giant gun, yes. crack up. Um, just yeah, just the way, um, like you were saying, Luke is Luke is wonderful. Like they have that entire episode where Tone kind of teases him, like, "Oh, are you flirting with me?" And he's like, "No, you're upset. I'm not gonna flirt with you unless you're like happy and in a place where you want to flirt back." And I'm like, "Aw." Um, and they have then they have a couple little moments together. Uh, so yeah, he's he's a good boy. He's a sweet um, boy, even though the vampire is going to be the canon love interest because vampires are uh, always the canon love interest. I'm kind of hoping this this series feels like a big setup or like kind of like a giant advertisement for an eventual Otome game, mm-hmm. especially since it's produced by a video game company. Yeah. Um, my hope is that the arc they have chosen for the anime will lean more towards just kind of a friendship, sort of keep it all mm-hmm. vague. Because at this point, Tone's not really interested in any of them. She's much more interested in saving her uh, best friend, Xinyao, uh, to the point where, like, I feel like it's very easy to ship the two of them together. Xinyao <laughs> um, is a little bit... I don't want to call her a pain point because I actually like her. I like that she's kind of a more traditionally feminine character, but she doesn't she gets kidnapped a lot, but she doesn't come across as, like, a constant damsel. Like, she looks for opportunities to escape, and she's kind of, like, choosing to stay with Chris because it seems like the safest option. But I am kind of curious to see, like, where her story ends up because I don't love it right now. Yeah. But again, it's counterbalanced by, you know, Tom just being a awesome badass that it doesn't really bother me. Yeah, so. I super thought that she was going to, like, bite it 
um, in the last episode when it turned out that her Umbra best friend, Pyro Jack, your friend and mine, Pyro Jack, w- uh, sacrificed itself for her. Yeah, that was that was sweet and sad. Yeah, it was Spoilers, sweet and sad. Folks, but yeah, I think that's kind of, I feel like that covers it. Like, it's not... You know, we have it in the feminist themes category, and I think that's probably still fair because of the the way it does sort of have that otome genre format, but with so much more of an active take charge protagonist and like, you know, showing her be mm-hmm. being heroic. Um, but it's not I wouldn't say it's a particularly deep story. I think it's I think it's a very fun supernatural no. action series that you can kind of just sit back and enjoy. And I am very mm-hmm. much Yeah, so and I it, you know, it's it. it's you know how I feel about that. I don't I don't declare things feminist very readily, and I wouldn't put this one on that list. Um, but it's still fun, and it's definitely, like, it's really great to see a girl kicking ass. So, yeah. No, it's a good show. <laughs> I'm happy it's around this season. Me too. I hope they I hope they bring it home and the ending is nice and it all works out for, for the kids, for these good kids. Um, okay, I think that's, I think we're... Good, that was the end of our list, and we're not going to cover sequels um, in the mid-season. Um, we'll do that for our, our extremely supersized end of season at this point. There's a lot to talk about, turns out. So, any final thoughts, folks? Or should I go ahead and wrap us up? Anime, still good. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a lot of people are saying it's a weak season, but I have more shows that I'm keeping up with than usual for me, and I've managed to keep up with them. I haven't, like, fallen off of them midway through or anything like i end up doing all the time so i think saying mid-season but at this point is kind of like a meme almost i mean like people are intentionally memeing but it seems like every season i hear that it's a weak season and then yeah. halfway through the season everybody's watching a bunch of stuff that they got pleasant surprises from so that's all a lie anime's good <laughs> every season is a good season yeah yeah, I I've been I've been pleasantly surprised by some of the stuff too, like things like Review Starlight and Phantom of the Twilight, which were not even on my radar at all, um, have proven to be you know really enjoyable. So I've been happy so far, and here's hoping that we'll be back in a few weeks and we'll be able to say that they ended well and recommend stuff to folks. So um, okay, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap up on that note then. Play us uh, out, D. Da 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 da. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chatty AF. If you like what you heard, tell your friends. And if you really like what you heard, we'd love it if you'd head over to www.patreon.com backslash animefeminist and become a Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Uh, your support really does go a long way towards making Anime Feminist happen, both in print and in your earbuds. If you're interested more from the team and our contributors, please check us out at www.animefeminist.com, on Facebook at AnimeFem, on Tumblr at Anime Feminist, and on Twitter at Anime Feminist. And that's the show. Thanks for listening, Annie Fam. We will be off next week. Um, we're going to go ahead and take the Labor Day weekend slash Crunchyroll Expo weekend off since we've got some team members who are going to be out there. Um, but we will be back the week after that. So... <laughs>